You are listening to Become a Guitarist Today podcast with Adam Roach. Welcome to episode number 158 with my guest today, Vince Martel from the band Vanilla Fudge. So Vanilla Fudge have just released a, a new single, which is Stop in the Name of Love, originally done by the Supremes, uh, released by Golden Robot Records. So in today's podcast, we talk all about the, the single, uh, the beginning of Vanilla Fudge back in 1967, and Vince shares some great stories about the band and what's coming up. And thank you to my sponsors, Custom Guitar Picks, Musician, and Arnold Krakowka. You don't need a drummer to make an amazing metal song. All you need is access to tracks produced in a great studio by a great engineer. My full-length drum tracks are crafted using the best sounding samples I've been developing for over a decade and have been used by thousands of professional musicians worldwide up to the highest level in the industry, including John Five and Gus G. Stop wasting hours of your time trying to program drums and stop wasting tons of money to have your drummer record in a studio for mediocre results. With my drum tracks, you don't need to worry about any of that. Just drag and drop your tracks Press record and you're done. All of that with a killer, authentic sound. So go to my website, arnokrakowka.com to start rocking. Now listen in to the, the end of the podcast where I share a little MP3 of the, a tribute to Tim Bogart, the original bass player, who unfortunately passed away this year. So this is a great little tribute to Tim. Hello, Vince. Yeah. Hey, how are you? It's uh, Adam Roach here from the Become a Guitarist Today podcast in Melbourne, Australia. Okay, how you doing, Adam? Yeah, very good. Yourself? Yeah, good. That's good. Whereabouts are you now? Are you in um, New York? I'm in New Jersey. Oh, New Jersey. Okay. Are you in Australia? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, in Melbourne, Australia. Melbourne, okay. Uh, but yeah, I just want to say uh, congratulations with the, the new the single. Thank you. Yeah, so you like it. Yeah, oh, just a, I mean, I just love the way you guys do your your takes you know, of the different songs. Even like when you, when you very first started, you know, your, your versions of the, all the other songs, and then this one as well. Thank you. You know, what a way to get it too with um, Tim on the bass for his last track. That must have been very special for you guys. Boy, I'm telling you, I'm really glad that we were able to get him on because he wasn't feeling good. Yeah. And uh, he went down to the studio in his pajamas and not feeling good and he put the bass track down on it and god bless him we love him for that and like i said yeah, the way it come out and even to have that little breakdown that you got you know towards the end of the song where it's just got the bass and carmine on drums so, right yeah it sounds like the bass is breathing hard right boom, 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 right yeah sounds like it's uh <laughs> it's right. i know that's really something yeah 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 it's a very very special and that 
And I heard the uh, the legacy thing you guys put out, you know, the, the, the tribute to Tim as well. That was very moving. Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. That's how, you know, we love Timmy. He's just a, a wonderful, wonderful. We're, we're going to have actually a, um, they're going to have a service for him up in New Jersey on Monday. His wife is flying in from California. And uh, we're going to show up. Uh, we're going to play Little People Get Ready. Okay. And, uh, you know, yeah. So that's what's happening. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, it's great that you guys are doing that. Yes. Us, that's how we feel. they got to do is a great, one of the greatest, if, if not at the top, of uh, rock-based players that has been in rock and roll to me. It's just, you got to check out the Ray Anthony show and watch Timmy on that if you've never seen it. Mm. And uh, you can see he's a great, great showman and a great player and a great performer and a great person. And, uh, you know, yeah. God bless him. And like I was saying, even you know, back in the, what was it 1967 when you guys first started? Yes, 67. Well, we actually were the Pigeons in 66. Okay. Yeah, we played around uh, Jersey and uh, New York areas and uh but uh, the song came out in 67 we had a great producer george shadow morton a great record company great management and everything just clicked and so it was great yeah it really was and even that performance on the um was the ed, ed sullivan show of you guys yeah we did two of those yeah, we did it two, two times you know he used to be a prize fighter ed sullivan okay yeah Oh, wow. Before he got it to, I guess, TV, yeah, but nice cat. You know, he'd come in the back of the stage area before he went on, said hello, and everybody shook hands and everything. Real nice, down-earth guy. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, even your, your show on that, like for you know, for back in, what, 67, 68, you guys, you know, on stage, just in your harmonies and your, and you know, Carmine with his little tricks with the sticks, <laughs> it was just like, who had seen yes, that before? Yeah. <laughs> Carmine and Timmy was like, Two players with one heartbeat, and Mark is fantastic arranger and performer and vocalist. And uh, you know, I put my two cents in there, and we just were able to uh, make something wonderful happen. Yeah, a oh, very, very talented band. Yeah. So, who was the the main arranger of the of the songs? Well, I, I would give Mark the credit for that. He was the one that would usually. Uh, like, I'll uh, keep me hanging on. It was Mark and Timmy were listening to a Supremes version. I think they were smoking something funny in the car. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, right? And uh, they heard uh, the Supremes come on, and it just sounded too happy mm. uh, for for the lyric content, what the song's lyrics were, and they just sounded too happy emotionally for what the lyric content was. And so when we came to a rehearsal, they, they uh, mentioned it to, uh, to us, to me and Carmine, and uh, we said, yeah, let's get into that uh, song. And, uh, you know, so I came up with the uh, guitar intro, uh, and Mark came up with uh, a big part of the arrangement, and uh, along with uh, Carmine, was a great arranger in his own right, and Timmy and Carmine would come up with fantastic uh, bass and drum parts themselves. Mm. And uh, that's it, and I, I was concentrating on keeping it as heavy and as flat as I could with the guitar. I was using a 335. I was using a big solid-state amp, which had an unusual characteristic of where you would hit a chord, and then a millisecond later, the chord would come back out again. And this is before they had uh, echoes and uh, 
slap back and all that kind of stuff before they had those little foot stomping panels as they have today. This was just a character. You know, this is before we're talking before they even had guitar tuners. Yeah. We used to tune by ear, which was rough on you after you've been playing a bunch of songs loud. You're, you're getting different overtones in your ears yeah. after just, you know. Uh, but uh, uh, so it had an unusual characteristic, and as we saw, it did like a distorted sound, and this is just when post tones were first starting out, and mm. before I was even using the post tone, I had that very fat chord sound going where it just sounded massive. And with the drums and the bass and the organ, it just, you know, it was great. Yeah. It turned me out big time. When you guys did the song, it was more like writing out your own original song, wasn't it? I mean, with the parts you come up with, it wasn't like the same as the original. Oh, no, no, we didn't want to do it the same as the original. We wanted to get as much emotion and as, as much uh, drama as we possibly could get out of the music. Because yeah. I know from my perspective, to me, music and playing on stage, it's theater. And you want to get your total emotions into it. We used to do a song like A Rolling Stone where I was, I was singing that one and... In the middle of the song, I would take the guitar off and fall on the floor with the microphone and bang the microphone on the stage. And uh, it was like, you know, the end of the world. So that was my approach, and that's how kind of the group approached everything. It was get as much uh, as much emotional value as you possibly could get out of the, the, the interpretation. It was heavy theater. It yes. wasn't easygoing uh, light, uh, happy. It was kind of a end of the world dirge. Uh, you know, chips are down, and that's it, man. This is it. Yeah. You know. So, did you ever like you know sit down and listen to the original and try and figure out the chords, or you just mainly listen to it, get a feel of it, and then do your own thing? Oh uh, well, yeah, yeah. You know, we would stick to the chords. Yeah. You know, I would, and we, we would stick to the chords of the song, but we were just trying to get it. Slow it down and make it heavy. Make yeah. it sound like it's a big deal, not like it's a light, small, happy. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But I like to do stuff that is like time at the end, end of the world time over here, and let's get the music as heavy as we possibly could. So I, that's always been my input into the band, and along with you know Mark. Uh, again, great arranger, and Timmy and Carmine, great drums and bass, and they, they would have, you know, come out with their own parts, and we, we would all contribute parts, we all tried to work in conjunction with each other's creativity, yeah. you know, we would, there was, there wasn't a lot of no's, uh, we would try stuff, if somebody come up with something, if I would come up with something, and sometimes you gotta be a little forceful, whatever it is, to get everybody to, to, to listen to the idea, but sometimes something just hits everybody, and that's kind of usually what you would end up going for. Yeah. And did you ever hear back from the original artists commenting about the songs, your versions? Uh, yeah, we heard back from some of the original artists here. For the, uh, the Supremes loved our stuff. The Beatles loved our stuff. George Harrison used to play our first album 
whatever he went to, any parties or any, any castles uh, in England where they, where they would be invited to, from what we heard, he was carrying our album around and playing it for everybody when it first came out. Oh, wow. I heard he had a, a yeah, I heard he had a great compliment to say about me, about my guitar playing, which was wonderful. I, I, I didn't meet him, but they, they came to one of the, uh, I think it was Paul McCartney and George Harrison came to a gig we did at the Sado Theater in London with The Who. And it was us in The Who. Hmm. And uh, uh, we actually went over a little better than The Who in the, in the newspapers. We were a little louder. And the, from what I heard, uh, Peter Townsend didn't want us on the tour anymore to to, you know, to work with them because they didn't, he didn't like that. But, uh, you know, that's back in the days when everybody was using 100 watt marshals opened up and you try to play as loud as you could and as heavy as you could. And it was a great night. We had some, some great nights in our career. Well, that's incredible. Beatles come see you guys. And I mean, the, the two versions, was it Ticket to Ride and um, Eleanor Rigby? You guys did? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, 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 you know it. Well, uh, you know, and the, the group had some other things that, that was, wasn't, weren't even released back in the old days. We had a few ones. We had, we had done, uh, You Can't Do That. Yep. Uh, then we had, uh, yeah, and we had an arrangement. And that we had recorded. Then we had an arrangement of uh, Day Tripper that was coming out really good that we worked up in a hotel room. Uh, this is after Tim. Uh, because Tim hadn't really worked for us for the last, you know, eight, ten years yeah. or so. But uh, uh, but we came up with a great reason, and that we never recorded that. But this, if, if, if we had the opportunity, I think we could, uh, you know, do some more Beatles stuff. Oh, it's never too late. Yeah. So you think you guys will do some more recording with Pete on bass? Probably, yeah, we will. I think, because I think uh, we might be working on a... Uh, a, a total Supremes album that's uh, been uh, some talk about us maybe doing that yeah. and uh, so yeah yeah, we might uh, uh, you know have Pete uh, in on that you know I, I hope that it uh, comes to pass that we can do some more Supreme stuff and even Beatles stuff I mean I, I like I like a lot of the old stuff especially to rearrange it you know we even did the Monkeys we did a couple of songs we did the Backstreet Boys we did a bunch of different things that some that that weren't well, with all the original guys yeah. but uh that, that that there was some great arranging uh out there that you know i think we could still you know now that we're back together i mean we were always together but we had some you know as it is in rock and roll you break up and you get back together it's like a good and a bad marriage i guess sometimes up and downs but uh uh, there's a lot of creativity, I think, still left for us to do. So I hope we do get an opportunity to do it. I'd love to hear that. If you guys do like a, a Beatles tribute, an album, just like all Beatles, that'd be fantastic. I, I agree with you. I think, uh, you know, I'll mention that to the guys the next time we, we get talking about it. We should do a Beatles album. I, there was talk about us doing uh, the White Album yeah. at one point that... Uh, uh, but I think the old Beatles songs are just, uh, I, I kind of would be wonderful to to hear some of those old Beatles songs redone heavy. Yeah. Well, I look forward to hearing yeah. the, the Beatle fudge. I know. I'd, I'd love to do, I hope we get an opportunity to do, but I, I am going to mention it to the guys because that is a great chance to do from, the, from those guys. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be really good. She 
Now, how about the album uh, The Spirit of 67? Was that back in 2015? Yeah, right. Right around then. I think I, it might have been a little bit before then, but uh, yeah, that's, that's close. The, the version you guys do of uh, I'm a Believer. Right, one. yes. They did a monkey song. Yeah, that yeah. came out pretty good. I reckon it's probably the best I've heard that song. I mean, I've been playing that song for years in cover bands and everything else, and when I heard that one, I thought, that's it. I've got to do that version from now on. <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's really good. Now, over to your, your book. So you've got the book out now too, don't you? The Psychedelic Solo? Yeah, Psychedelic Solo. It's uh, my whole life story, actually. I was in the Navy, grew up in the Bronx, New York, joined the Navy at 17, uh, got out, played music in Florida for a couple of years, then came up and uh, ended up getting into the Pigeons and then we became Vanilla Fudge. When we were the Pigeons, we had a drummer named Joey Brennan uh, because it was Joey Brennan, Mark Stein, Tim Bogart, they were in a group and they were looking to replace the guitar player. And uh, I just came up from Florida, so I got my whole life story in there and then the Vanilla Fudge and, and everything else. It's uh, available, uh, you know, a special order, VinceMartel.com. No, I'll definitely get onto that one. I look forward to reading that. Oh, that'd be great. Oh, that's wonderful. It's been a, a fun talking, Adam. Thank you. And um, yeah, we look forward to hearing what else you, you bring out into the world in your music. Uh, I hope we can come down to that neck of the woods one of these days and do some concerts. Oh, I hope so. Hopefully next year. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thanks very much, Vince. I really uh, appreciate it. My pleasure. Okay, great, right. Adam. Thank you. Thank you very much. You got All it, right. bro. Yep. Okay. Bye-bye. Right. Take care. Yep, bye. Bye. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Vince or Vinny. Now I'd like to play a very special MP3 that I got from John at Golden Robot Records. He sent me this little MP3 clip. It's a, a legacy to uh, Tim Bogart, which is the original bass player from Vanilla Fudge, and it features members Carmine Apice, Mark Stein, and Vince Martel. Bit of a dedication to Tim, who sadly passed away early in 2021. Tim had a beautiful heart. He was a very loyal friend. I've been friends with Tim for over 55 years. We were like closest brothers. When he finally passed, I mean, I was really, really sad and reflecting on how we came together as friends and became famous together. and all the things we did musically all around the world. Hi, I'm Carmine Apice, and I'm the drummer for Vanilla Fudge. Vinny Martell, lead guitarist of Vanilla Fudge. Mark Stein, a lead singer and keyboardist for classic rock band Vanilla Fudge. What made Timmy a great bassist is that, you know, he played sax in high school, but he switched to the bass, and he brought his sax phrasings to the bass. You know, he would like do these intricate runs. He'd go off on tangents up and down the neck, beat up on the bass. He'd come back to the exact spot in the groove on the lows, just what you wanted. He and Carmine were like two players with one heartbeat. He had amazing anticipation. 
you know, he was influenced by uh, James Jamison with the Motown sound, and he, he like was on steroids with that stuff. He took it to the next level. He used to do these incredible fills and phrasing, lightning fast, and when the downbeat came, boom, he'd, he'd be right back, you know, with the band. And he started different things like playing with his thumb and pulling on strings and banging his bass, and nobody else did stuff like that. And he was just amazing with coming up with new things on the bass, fuss tones and all kinds of sounds and stuff. Tim really started a lot of things that bass players today use. He just loved playing bass the way he did. And and that really, you know, it was part of his makeup. Tim was really a super intelligent cat. I mean, when we were young, I mean, I was like 19, 20 years old. He was maybe 22. I used to marvel at the conversations he used to have with a diverse bunch of people. He would talk about, I remember, auto mechanics or foreign affairs, uh, politics, I mean, you name it. And I used to say, how, how does he know all these things, you know? And I was kind of amazed at the way he could carry on like that for a guy his age. Matter of fact, he, he had an answer for any question that you gave him. So we used to nickname him Spock because, you know, you can ask him any question and he'll have some sort of answer. Whether it was correct or not, um, he made it sound believable and you believed him. We used to share rooms together, so that was pretty wild. We did everything together. I loved him like a brother. He was my brother. I probably spent more time with him than I did with my family. Probably in the late 60s, I think we were playing a college in Pennsylvania. We were right in the middle of the show, and at the time I was a real skinny pop star like we all were. And I used to sweat a lot, and I'd take my shirt and I'd rip it off, finish the show that way. But I'd swing the, you know, the shirt around my head and I'd throw it to my roadie, you know, behind me. So I did it, and I'm looking at the audience, and I see people pointing and laughing. I turn around, and my shirt happened to land on Timmy's head, and it was covering his head and his face. <laughs> it was unbelievable, and he was so cool about it. He had a great sense of humor. I thought he was going to get pissed, you know. But he didn't. He started doing like the, the Chuck Berry chicken walking down the stage and he just left it hanging on front of his face. In Paris, France in 1968 in this big theater. And after his bass solo, he went to the front of the stage and he had on his Mickey Mouse t-shirt. He had on his red round sunglasses, acid type shades. And he's sitting at the end of the uh, stage with his legs dangling, watching the audience digging Carmine's drum solo. You know, it had to freak the people out watching Timmy looking at them while they're watching the, the solo, the drum solo going on. Tom Vitorino, our manager, always wanted us to do a, another Supreme song. So we put Stop in the Name of Love down. And with the intention, I asked him if he'd play on it. And he was really sick. He had stage four cancer and really wasn't doing well. And uh, he said he would. So I had a copy of the track sent to my friend Jorgen Carlson that plays bass with Government Mule. And he agreed to have Tim go over his studio and put the bass down. Tim's wife, Veda, brought him there and he, he wasn't looking good, but he was so cool. He said, I bought this Fender four-string bass because I know you love the way I play four-string bass. So that was really nice. And we helped him get through it. He, you know, he had brain cancer, but as soon as Tim started playing, it was magic. Me and him locked together like a like the rhythm section we were. It was amazing how quick it locked. He played great on it. He played like Tim. It was definitely a struggle. 
for him to play. He wanted to play one last time. He, he bothered to do this for us because he wanted to play one last time with the band. He wanted to play one last time with me. His wife told me he was very excited about coming to play on that track. He did a really, really good job to me in spite of, you know, fighting his illness, especially knowing it was a very brave thing to do. And I remember he wanted to do it because, you know, it actually made him, you know, feel better about things. I'm very glad that we got to get him on the last song, that we were able to get him to play on it one more time. I think his bass track is magnificent. I think that he made a masterpiece for all time. I got to say goodbye to him because I prayed for him, quite a few little prayers and stuff like that, and he listened. And I left some on his machine also at other times. And, you know, he told me he loved me. Uh, Vinny, I love you, he told me. And, of course, I told him I love you too, Timmy. When I found out it was probably his last week on Earth, I called him to say goodbye. And uh, it was a you know, pretty intense moment. And uh, I said, so I guess it sounds like you're going to be leaving town in a couple of days. He goes, yeah, babe, I am. I said, look, I, I love you. And he goes, uh, love you too. And it was a silence, hung up, and that was the last time I spoke to him. Timmy was very important in my life. He was always present, always on the phone, always talking. I got to say goodbye to him. I told him, I love you, Tim. And he said the same back to me. I'm grateful we got to say goodbye. I spoke to him a lot at the end, and nothing was left unsaid.